Can I tell you one thing I'm thinking about trying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something I learned from my ex-father-in-law. <clears throat> Every time you ask him anything, he, he doesn't say anything for a really long time. He doesn't even like nod his head. He just kind of looks at something that's not you. And, and it's terrifying. So go ahead and uh, ask me something. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Very dramatic. Yeah, like that. That's pretty good, huh? I, I tried to do that with clients, and then I end up laughing. So, um, how you doing? You doing? Hey, how, how's it going? How's it going? You've you've been um, you've been busy. Sorry, my tea is micturating. You've been really busy <clears throat> with all your stuff. Are you? Uh, you had your five hour. Oh, what a nightmare! So let's let's explain this because we've got, I've, there's been a handful of emails. And and it's it's weird because they're all directed more toward you, and they're like, "Hey, Merlin, what gives? Why no show last week? Like you had anything to do with it? You were sitting there ready the whole time. I got a new hustler. You were sitting there ready the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I had I had a home inspection. For those who don't know, we haven't. I don't know if we mentioned. That's it what on I usually show. say when I when I got a new hustle. I call it a home inspection, and I inspect it, and I get in there, and a lot of what I do is just I call it testing the duct work. Yeah. So. Uh, how's your father? Hmm. So Excuse me. They, uh, so we had a home inspection because we're selling our house. We're moving to Austin. Be there in a month or so. You're, you, you said, and so you're a pretty good planner. You're a pretty smart guy. You know about stuff. Just for context, for, for the nerds, you had said, hey, look, we've got to probably move this. Yeah. You know, this will take at least an hour and, and maybe more. And I was like, that's fine. I don't have a job. So just let me know and I'll be here. I couldn't possibly take more than, what, two hours. Yeah, I budgeted. I said, you know, an hour may be optimistic. Two hours, totally no, no problem. So we moved it to, was it 3.30? I think we were going to do it Eastern time, 12.30 your time, mm-hmm. or 3.15 or something like that. And I thought, I thought, you know, worst case scenario, by then they're done making noise, and they can go and review it in the other room if I, you know, I don't need to be there for that anyway. You can look for uh, termites in, in near silence. That's <laughs> probably that's, uh, true. That was, that was that's Heraclitus that said that. So, and so how to turn out, Dan? How to well, turn they, out? they were here for more than five hours. Two, two full-grown men searched mm-hmm. through our house, every square inch of our house, for more than five hours. And then we spent another at least 30, 45 minutes going over their 100-page report. And that I, I talked about this ad nauseum at length on, on my other show, The Daily Edition. But the long story short, the guy made absolutely no distinction between things that are like super critical, you must know this, don't buy the house kind of thing, and inconsequential details that are kind of eh, good advice for a homeowner to know, generally speaking. That he made no distinction between severity, seriousness, you know, something that, that was like a, a, a completely normal crack in the stucco on the exterior of the house that can be replaced with 15 cents worth of, uh, you know, silicon caulk. No differentiation between that and, you know, basically Chernobyl meltdown. There's no – everything was a serious issue. Everything was urgent. Everything was a disaster. <laughs> everything needed to be fully explained to huh. somebody who, you know, could care less about this stuff and just wanted to know, should I buy the house or not? Do you think that's a CYA-type situation? I mean, yes and no. They obviously paid a fortune for this guy because the the guy – 
was certified in everything and had a, a meter thing that he could use to see moisture behind the walls with, you know, base reflectivity and infrared stuff and, you know, crazy gear and just so in-depth that it was so overkill. I mean, it was way overkill. By the way, he found about uh, – he found that there were a few breakers that had been recalled that needed to be replaced. They were functioning fine. They just – there was wow. a recall on them. Uh, so that's basically free work. And then there was a $50 repair on, on an electrical box on the side of the house. And the way he described it, you would think that the house should be condemned and, and you know, burnt to the ground. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. These guys were big. One of them was fairly big, robust, I would call them. Did they, did they seem pretty confident about what they're doing and the quality of their work? It seemed like they, they, knew, they knew their way around. They knew their they way around the house. Yeah. They, they weren't like scared to be there. I was scared of them being there, yeah. but they were not scared. Have you considered that that might have been a home invasion? <laughs> no, I mean, it's too late to do <laughs> yeah, anything I now. You, that's how you I might felt. want to file a report. You might want to file a report. <laughs> that could have been a Motorola StarTac. He was holding up the wall going, could have been. I did feel yeah. violated. Yeah, sure. They, they didn't tie you up, though. Did they put you in the bathroom or anything? No. That's good. That was from my choice to be there. Can I just say that if I ever have a home invasion, God forbid, I hope they put me in the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, if they put me in the closet, it's going to be a lot of like dirty clothes and a flannel shirt with a hole in it. But in the bathroom, I'm a Viking. Wow. I can, I, well, no, <laughs> think about it. There's flexibility in there, right? I don't want to go into too many details, but you can poop. In there, and you can you could brush your teeth. After, you know, you, you, oh, you got to wash your hands after you poop. You can take a nice soak if you got some like Epsom salts. You should get Epsom salts in case you ever have a home invasion. Okay. I don't want to tell you how to run your life, Dan. You're yeah. clearly more successful than me. But I, you're a very trusting guy, and you're a Buddhist, and you you, you sit on that ball, and I, I don't know what that's doing. To you. I hope you have people in your life who are helping keep you on track. Because you have a family now, Dan. It's all about surrounding yourself with honest people. I think. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do, do, you, do you have a cold? Were you just crying or did you eat some peanut butter? You sound, you sound a little... Right no, nah, I, don't, I don't feel that way at all. Neither. I, don't, I never eat peanut butter because it's, it's uh, not on the paleo diet and I, I definitely don't have a cold. Okay. But I'll work on it though. We should have some kind of check some MD5 deal. Maybe it's just that you haven't heard my voice you, in so long. I might be talking to the home invader right now. So... <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it a throw. Uh, but uh, is, it, is it coming along? I mean, seriously, this has been stressful for you. You've been a gentleman about it on your show, but shows. But no, nah, it should be smooth sailing. According to the to the agents, the real estate agents, it's smooth sailing from here on out. They say. Excellent, excellent. How um, about you? What have you been up to? So anyway, that's why we didn't do a show because yeah, the, sorry, the home nerds. We're trying, and and look, can I just underscore here? We are, we are both trying really hard to make this a regular thing, just because of the inertia behind how little I actually ship. And you've, we've made it clear to me as you, as you browbeat me with in episode one in your sweetly passive aggressive way, I want to do a show, you know, every week. And because I'd like to listen to it and find out how many stupid things I said, you know, but no, we're here. And, um, <clears throat> with, uh, I don't know. Did my toot go up? I tooted something. I don't know if it went up. The birdhouse. Oh, it went is, up. Uh, oh, it went, <laughs> went up with her, with her typos. <laughs> Dan, you scare me sometimes. Do you do you secretly do you, when you talk to Jay Sir or uh, or Marco or, or Grooves? Do you do you just do you just talk about what a dick I am? Do, is, can you be honest with me? I can be honest with you. I've never said that, as far as you know. Okay, must just don't be honest with me. God, you know what? I started listening to your podcasts, and they are good. Oh, thanks, man. No, just as a side note. No, I've dabbled around. I've listened to uh, listened to an episode of the Pipeline. 
heard a couple episodes of the conversation. Oh wow! Um, I've heard that show you do called uh, Back to Work. Yeah. So far, what? all all shows you've been on. Oh god, god, that's funny. I think you're right. Anyway, they're really good. I'm getting <laughs> them on the Instacast now. All right. Um. So what did I post? I said. Um. Oh. Okay. So yeah. So um. Uh. A few weeks ago, I was crying a lot and thinking about a fear. Um, I'm thinking about new stuff now, um, and I, I keep coming back to the future-proofing your passion thing because it's such an interesting – well, first of all, we should tell the nerds. Uh, what did I say? What did I say? Just so we can give the uh, capsule review for people who don't have the internet. Um, uh, and did, you see, did you see how I wrote a really good tantalizing thing where people are going to go, what's that mean? Yes. Yeah, that's called SEO. I uh, I said um, in the first of many times I'll quote myself. I think I said something like it's going to be evolution, investing in roulette, taking smarter chances, and yes, future proofing your passion. Um, and we have talked uh, at various at length at various times about future proofing your passion, but it has been I think uh, a focused on young people and B a lot of Merlin yelling kind of stuff, which, you know, I think that's important. That's part one of our values. But I, I was thinking today, I, I actually, and you know what? I wrote things down and I looked things up on the internet before we talked. So I actually had some ideas. Is that okay? Don't, I mean, I'm a little intimidated, but of course. People keep telling me I talk more than you. So I'm going to try to talk less. I don't think that's a complaint. Do you register um, that as a complaint? Uh, I should say, yeah, boy, that hurts my feelings. Um, but the truth is that's kind of what I do. And if you don't like that, then, boy, that's going to be tough for me to change. You know what I mean? It's kind of like going, why does John Wayne wear that hat? That's kind of stupid, you know? But seriously, Stagecoach, it's a really good movie. Have you ever seen Stagecoach? You know, it's probably one of those movies I've seen, but I couldn't tell you about it. You know, like it was on when you were a kid and you're watching it. It was his star-making movie, 39, John Ford. And what's neat about it, it's on the Netflix streaming, which I'm so glad that you're as hyper-gay for as I am. Oh, that's the best. Oh, my God. Seriously, they should sponsor this show. They should. It's, it's so good. Why should they sponsor any shows that we give them more free press and they could possibly that's dream of? My, my old advertisers at uh, – rhymes with FM. They used, to, they used to say it to me. I go, well, what the F? <laughs> Why you got a thing here for, why am I getting all these freaking ads for Microsoft Vista Premium CS3 Enterprise? Like, what the F? Why am I not getting ads for laptops from Apple and stuff? And they're like, well, Merlin, you do understand how advertising works, right? And and I I said, well, obviously not. And they said, well, you know, you kind of talk a lot about Macs already. So like, why, you know, it's about getting people to switch brands of cigarettes, so to speak. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. But um, but in this instance, um, yeah, I think they want market share. I think somebody's got to gobble them up at some point, don't you? you Netflix. You, you mean acquire Netflix? I think they're in a better position to acquire other places. Who's going to acquire them? It couldn't be a film studio because th- if it was, then that would no. break all the deals that they currently have. Apple has its own thing; they don't want that. Did you? Um, we'll cut this out and put it in the after show. But we, did I get the sense that you tried it once before and then said meh and got rid of it? I tried it, but it, I didn't ever do the the streaming i tried the regular dvd stuff for a while and we had it for a while and then our boy was born and we just stopped, weren't watching movies for a long time right and then they didn't the streaming you know remember when the streaming came out it didn't do uh it wasn't mac compatible iOS, there was no yeah. apple tv they could they could do it and i didn't have a tivo what about you you've, you've been on there for a long time well yeah it's funny though i when i turned it on for the first time 
I don't know how many months or a year ago when they first did it, it was like, Hey, come in, you know, and stream these movies. And, um, <laughs> it was like 3% better than the Amazon product is right now. You go into Amazon and I think it's, it wasn't even straight to DVD. I think it's like straight to SVCD in, in Vietnam. There's people <laughs> in these movies I've never heard of. There's like, there's like two Sandra Bullock films and like a lot of instructional videos about weightlifting. <laughs> And that's how I felt when I flipped on. I, I mean, I had a toot about this, I think. I flipped on, I was like, because I love Netflix, right? I think they're, they're, there's so much about them I admire, you know, in the way they run their business. And, you know, they're kind of a, an interesting success story. But I flipped it on and I was like, <laughs> I, I thought this, seriously thought this. And then I tooted about it. But I think I said uh, that <laughs> Netflix streaming is basically full of the stuff that makes me want to cancel my cable six or eight times a week. It's, it's, it was all stuff like, you know, um, I, I don't know what, like, like screech vehicles. It was, it was, it was just so baffling. And now, you know, I've been listening to your program, uh, with, uh, Grubby and, uh, and, uh, following, trying to follow along on the James Bonds. And, uh, it's amazing. They, they, they put all this great stuff. I watched, uh, I watched that Banksy movie last night, uh, Exit through the gift shops. So oh, great. Yeah, yeah, that's on the documentaries uh, one. Is that any good? Is that worth watching? I watched it. I fell asleep. I watched the first, uh, maybe third, and it was well. That's the thing. I, play, I bring it into. I bring it into my uh, you know the place where I sleep. Oh, you watch and TV I, in in that place? Yeah, I have an iPad, um, which is kind of like a Zoom, except it works, and uh, it's got a little case, and then I can watch things on it, and uh, it doesn't crash. Does that keep up your significant other? The light from the uh, well, iPad. Last, 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 well, um, well, inside baseball, you know, um, mom was mom was uh, helping somebody else sleep in the next room. Yeah, her lover. <laughs> His name's Joaquin. No, he's a nice guy. It started as a home invasion. Uh, it led some light, some light, uh, some light lawn work, and uh, he was our pool boy for a while. And now um, she, he's her. Uh, I don't know how to say it in Spanish. Her personal body slave. So I don't even know what that means, but her hygiene is impeccable. Our daughter seems happy, and our lawn looks fantastic. So when you sleep with one of those things on, do you are you rolling all around on top of the island? We have a very, very, very large thing that we sleep in. It's very, very large. I don't like saying bed. Doesn't that sound intimate? You know? Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, no, no, I'll sit there and I'll look at it, and I still haven't totally got my workflow. It's kind of on my stomach, kind of on the side. It's, 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 it's uncomfortable, but it's great. And uh, sometimes I'll fall asleep with it. Do you get a on. crick in your neck, though, if it's on your chest like, or stomach like that? I've already got a crick in my neck. I think I got a pinched nerve. Have we talked about this? No. Oh, we should talk about this. That's I'm terrible. Sure. No, no, I checked. I checked on the internet. And because I can feel numbness in two of my fingers, I think I either have a pinched nerve or I'm going to die. And I have to, I have to just read some of the um original literature on that but um it's good re- really good movie i won't spoil the conceit of the movie for you if you don't know what it is but it's not what you think it is and it's so good um is this one I, where it it never reveals his identity it's talking about his work right that's like a tertiary point the, okay. oh well i think it's probably well known enough to say my god where are 20 minutes are we 20 minutes in and we're already this far off topic i thought this was a topic Okay. It starts out as this guy who just shoots video all the time. He's this kind of weird looking like French looking like uh, Ron Jeremy looking guy with a weird hat. Ugh. And uh, no, but he's fascinating. And so what happens is he's become this guy who goes out and just he's, he's compulsive about just shooting video. And through the series of, circ- of um, kind of coincidences, he ends up um, 
kind of by accident getting interested in people who do graffiti. He follows them around. He becomes Shepard Ferry's go-to guy for shooting his installation stuff. Long story short, he, I haven't gotten to the part where he meets Banksy, but basically he meets Banksy and Banksy goes, well, you know what? You're more interesting than me. I'm going to make this movie about you. <laughs> so it's mm. a Banksy movie. <laughs> anyway, um, I, the Netflix is, is, is great, but my point about Netflix was, why, why did I talk about Netflix, Dan? Uh, where, we were just we, we were just talking about yeah future proof future proof what are my notes here I got a new pen uh, book's going pretty well how's the book uh, going oh uh, I gotta tell you about that that's good that's good that's another derail but it's going really good I think my I think my editor and I made up it was good oh was there um, something going on oh you know we can talk about that now because <laughs> you're past what? it you mean just just are you are you capturing this as Jim how many things have we at this point agreed to table for later in the show I, Zero. I, I've got I've got six. Okay, okay. perfect. Um, <laughs> a lot of what we've talked about with future proofing your passion in one fashion or another. Uh, you think about uh, S one E seven, which which I think may be our best episode. The uh, where we talked to uh, the the guy who liked to dress up and uh, do heroin. What was his name? Richard. Remember him, Richard? Richard A. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vocational wheel. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked a lot about various things involving what clarity and figuring out what you want to do next and so on and so forth. And I don't love that name, Future Proofing Your Passion, except that it is kind of sticky. And so I, I've been using it. But what I want to talk about today is focused slightly more in a more practical way and be focused more at people who aren't 20 um, and don't know what you, they want to do. It could yeah. be for people who are 50 and don't know what they want to do, but I think it's going to be most useful for people who are whatever age and have an okay good idea what they want to do and enough sense that what they're doing right now is kind of not the thing they want to do. So I'd like to think that this would be useful for somebody in high school as much as it would be useful for somebody who just got, you know, laid off from uh, some industry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's come back to my new pen though. I got a really nice Yeah, people in the chat room were, were on fire about that. Oh God, it's really, really good. Yeah, James, James at Brownell Coffee, Brownell Coffee, uh, Terraval between uh, uh, 22nd and 23rd. You'll see me there a lot. Don't be creepy. Um, Got to go to Brownell Coffee. By the way, I'm going to take over their Twitter uh, for a couple weeks. I'm going to be their guest Twitter and try and get them some followers, Brownell Coffee. Um, should we button it up? Yeah, I think we're about done. Okay, I love you. It's enough for this week. Love you too. Here's what I'm thinking now. Um, those, I, I, I pulled this out of my butt uh, a little earlier. What, the pen? Hmm? It's very slender, and it has two ends. So it's really what you want to commit to today. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, uh, like they say with ladies' clothes. You know, it's day to evening. Mm. <laughs> Evolution, investing in roulette, taking smarter chances, and future-proofing your passion. Let's start with what that means, future-proofing your passion. What I, what I think that means, um, uh, the second most cited thing of mine that I'm constantly suggesting you watch is a thing with uh, John, a talk we did at South by Southwest a couple years ago that I, I think is really good and is worth mentioning because, first of all, it's kind of proud of the little guy. Like, he, he wasn't always a natural speaker, and I was, he got out there. You know, he doesn't get to line edit everything and put the semicolons where he wants. Actually, he doesn't use semicolons. I think he hates that I use semicolons. But, uh, he, but it was a good chance for him to get out there, speak extemporaneously, and show everybody that he's a really smart, like, normal guy. Um, but we talked a lot, basically, about how to blog better, um, but ended up talking a lot about... I don't know, I kind of introduced this idea that's incredibly stupid, but I really like, which is this idea that, well, let's talk about with blogs to start, just for context. If you've got a blog, the way I look at a blog, or really almost anything where you're 
repeatedly serially trying to make something for production by other people. This is a concept that means a lot to me, this idea of these two axes, right? So if you imagine an X and a Y axis, like axis, like a horizontal and a vertical, you got this one axis, which you could think of as either voice or obsession, and you got this another, um, another axis that you could think of as topic or, as we like to say, obsession, right? What is the thing you can't stop thinking about? And those sound like kind of the same thing, but I really think they're not. I think voice and uh, point of view are, are sort of what you have to say about a thing or things, right? Um, and then you've got this axis of topic or obsession. So, and that's the stuff that you are interested in that you, or that you think is going to generate a lot of traffic or that, oh my God, we got to talk about, uh, we got to talk about uh, Elmer too. Oh my God. Oh, we got to talk about Elmer DeWitt. We got to talk about that, Dan. Okay. Table that. Did you hear, he mentioned me like three times. Did you hear that? In your yeah, he, he loves you. Holy God. I, I, I was literally out of semen by the end of that. I had to go borrow semen from the people next door. And they're old. So that was hard. I, <laughs> I owe them one. Um, that was awesome. Great interview. And wow, it was really great because he mentioned me. Holy crap. But here's the notion. So you got your two axes, right? And the, let's, let's think of the one axis of, I don't know which should be which. Let's say, let's say the up and down axis is voice, right? And so what, what do I mean by voice? Well, voice is, the example that we gave specifically, I think, was, well, think about John, right? You got John, John's voice and John, uh, John Gruber of Daring Fireball. Uh, he's uh, uh, really an, an intolerable little man who, who has a, a website about uh, computers. And, uh, but his site has in part become so successful because I think he's done a great job at doing, um, I've told him this before, one of the reasons I admire him the mo- so much, in addition to being a craftsman, is that he does, he does three things that a lot of people try to do. This is going somewhere. Um, almost anybody in the world can tell you that something happened. Uh, a lot of people uh, can tell you uh, sort of like what, you know, what they think that means. And there are some people who are really great at putting that in a larger context and pulling together these two seemingly unrelated things to show really this third point of, wow, no, this is really what this might mean. And so, for example, you know, at like, uh, like, like your pal was saying, you know, somebody goes to a press release and they run off and the AP guy calls his wire dude and says, okay, you know, they're going to release this, this new Zoom. It's really exciting. Anybody can tell you that something happened. And increasingly, anybody can repeat what somebody else said just happened. Let's be honest. Like, he, he called himself a bottom fear. What is his full name? I'm having a brain fart. Philip Elmer DeWitt. Philip Elmer DeWitt. DeWitt. 12, 12, 12 cover stories for time? When time was good? I think, wow. I think 150. Is he in San Francisco? Uh, now? I, I think he was. I think now he's... Uh, is he back in New York? Back in New York now. Okay. Can you find out where he lives? Like a local yeah. address, sure. Yeah, like, like where his family are. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Let's run back to that. Um, but like he said, you know, um, I mean, we're talking about John, talking about all this stuff. Well, John, like, not only can he tell you something happened, but, you know, if all there really is to say about it is Twitter removed the dick bar, John has a post that goes, Twitter removes the dick bar. He didn't write the, the requisite Gawker implemented 300 words because because a post about a new way to pick your ass requires 300 words yeah he first he's very elegant about about doing that he has and even when he has a five word sentence it really sounds like john gruber because he spell checked it and stuff that's a thing you can get now on your computer 
And uh, but then the second part is he can go, well, I think that means this possibly, and I can show you why. And some people will do that. A lot of people will give you their opinion if you like, right? You can go, oh, this new Zoom came out. That'll suck. Post. And then there are some people <laughs> who can sit there and like punditize about it and talk about what an order for OLED monitors means. And, and uh, you know, and it's just words, you know? But I, I like the way that John does that. And I think one thing that's made John good at that, and like a lot of people are good at this. You could, I mean, take anybody who's figured out, and again, this is all in the talk, but I make that crack about, it's one thing to have a Star Wars blog, but it's another thing to have a blog about Jawas. But it's even cooler to have a blog about just this one Jawa. <laughs> like, you could be the go-to guy for that Jawa. And we right. use the example, uh, at this point, a very well-worn example of Ira Glass talking about, you know, how your people are constantly trying to ape other people. You know, it's like everybody wants to be Ted Koppel, and he's like, maybe, you know, we've already got a Ted Koppel, you know? He, there was a set of circumstances that led to that. And now, why would you want to be Ted Koppel? You know, we've already got one. Like, why would you want to be Michael Arrington? Pause. And so, and so um, I think John's great at that. And he synthesizes that. And then, like The Daily Show, he can pull out two pieces of video and go, wow, remember when you said that thing? And then you said that thing? And then you said that other thing? And you kept saying this thing? And I said it wasn't true? Wow, it turns out it's not true. Isn't that kind of funny? Because he thinks like that. So here's the thing. John's done... He's brought those two axes together, I think, in a very polished and professional way. This is not just about John. There's a lot of people who do this. But what he's done is he's found his x-axis of being not single-mindedly focused on Apple stuff. Sometimes he gets those sports teams that he likes in there. Um, and he talks about the, the guy who made uh, Barry Lyndon, whatever his name is. That stuff's always coming in. But at the heart of it, John's the go-to guy for Apple stuff. Love him or hate him he's going to come up with an opinion that a lot of people are, are going to seek out and go, yeah. gosh, that was kind of a smart thing to say. Um, but his voice is very clear, you know? And maybe in a similar way, I don't know, the Macalope or, or, or whomever. There's a very clear voice to play there. To this point, um, I think, God, this is longer than I expected. I'm sorry. But I think it's an important point. If all you have is voice, right? Voice being blah, 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 and opinions and things I didn't bother to look up and uh, here's my pretty new haircut. Well, that's Facebook. Voice is Facebook. Voice is live journal. Voice is retooting. That's voice. That's great. You have helped align yourself with someone else's ideas and maybe you've even found a way to like have a shtick. You know, maybe you're Gilbert Gottfried or you're Mitch Hedberg or you're somebody who's really, or Sam, Sam Kinison or somebody who's, you know, two-thirds of which are not dead, where, where you've, you've, you've got this angle where people recognize your voice, but that voice without topic is very limiting. Now, the topic part is, is where you're talking about a thing you can't stop thinking about, like that Jawa or like Apple, or for reasons that are totally inexplicable to me, Web 2.0 startups. Yeah. But the people, I think, who get great at that are the people who can bring those two axes together and increasingly refine what their voice is and increasingly refine what their topic or obsession is. And as we'll talk about in a minute, that will evolve, that will change. But so what does all that blah, blah about John Gruber have to do with you? Well, I kind of think that's what everybody, when you think about future-proofing your passion, when you think, and by which I mean, rather than just having some mission statement that you wrote because you bought a Stephen Covey book in the 80s and staring at it and hoping everything turns out okay, how do you, how do you derive an evolving sense of really kind of pulling together a lot of these things that we've talked about? Well, first care, right? Like, do I still really care about that thing? Well, that takes a certain amount of clarity. That clarity means going out and getting new information and synthesizing it and trying things. And as we say, oscillating time and attention. But at the heart of it, the future-proofing part means 
if I know the part of this that I care the most about, or I know the part of this that I'm actually kind of better at than other things, or I really get the kind of thing that I care about that, let's be honest, I have a market advantage in this thing. I think that's a really big deal. That sounds really obvious until you realize how many people aren't doing it, right? Um, celebrity blogs. I mean, how many more celebrity blogs do we need? How many more, how many, how many more blogs about whose cooch we saw getting out of a limo <laughs> do we really need? Maybe more. Maybe you like cooches. Maybe you're just very into limos. I can't change that. But how many more of those do we need? And, and, who, and what audience are you reaching with that particular work? It's a different show, I guess. But I think in, in, in the first step of understanding what I mean by the future proofing your passion, it, really the better word for that, it's almost like there was this time when I was a kid where everything was like waterproof. Buy this watch is waterproof. And the thing is, a lot of like people would go and test that and they go, you know, actually, this is not waterproof. It's at best water resistant, right? And, it's, and not only is it water resistant, but it's water resistant to this many meters. Right. So if you go with your dive watch and you go to 12 meters rather than 10, it's probably going to break. So what we're really talking about is future resisting <laughs> your passion. <laughs> but the, the thrust of what I want to get at in, in our remaining seven hours is to just talk about some steps that you can take very actively, transitively, ways you start looking at things differently to get, what do I mean by evolution? Um, to understand that, as I said to David on that, uh, on that Mac Power Users podcast about, you know, I, I hate that phrase, follow, follow your bliss. Because the thing is, your bliss should be constantly changing, whatever the F, your bliss, whatever that means. And a lot of people use it wrong. It's not, you know, Joseph Campbell did not mean that in terms of like, I'm going to walk around with a fanny pack full of bad acid and follow fish. Like that's, that's not what he meant. What he meant is there's some path out there that's sort of meant for you. So I think both of them are kind of BS and, and personally. And I think your bliss needs to be what your brain and your heart tells you today by seeing clearly. But it does matter a lot to remember why you're doing what you do. And there are aspects when I talk about those two axes – for example, like let's say you dive into it go, okay, I have a really, really strong voice and a really strong topic. The only problem is my topic is buggy whips and my voice makes me sound like Mortimer Snurd. Well, that would have been really cool in like the 50s. But if you had decided forever that you were going to talk like a ventriloquist dummy and report heavily on a product that's no longer made, that's not going to be a great future thing for you to do, no matter how much you love it, Right. The music labels really want this to be 1972, and they continue to, to do things that show that that's the mentality that they have. They're leaving behind a lot of opportunities to somebody like me. Again, I'm on the outside. I don't know. But my feeling is that their own inability to future-proof even their business model is – you could look at the numbers. I mean, the numbers are not stacking up. So evolving to me means – I have a story about this um, – in particular, but evolving to me means to, to keep this stuff future-proof, future-resistant, you do have to keep your eyes open and keep re-examining, re-checking with yourself, is this the thing I want to be doing? You know, um, there's that great phrase you used to use talking about, you know, the war in Iraq, um, sunk cost fallacy. You ever heard that, Dan? No, that's a new one on me. Um, I've, heard, I've heard of sunk cost, but what is the sunk cost fallacy? Okay, let's say you bought a used car. And after you bought the car, like, like we did, we realized we'd paid more than we should have for this used car. We didn't realize it at the time, but then we did. Um, 
and then you have it for a year, you're making the payments, and then um, the timing belt breaks. Oh, God, well, now you got to go repair the timing belt. Well, the problem is now a month later, the engine dies. And that's going to be pretty costly. So you go, okay, well, I got to fix the engine. I'm still making payments on this car. Right. Well, let's say you've got like 11 more repairs that are getting you weirdly close. You know, you're almost underwater, as they say. The value of the car is now out of whack with how much you've spent after that. There's a thing that happens in our, in our minds where we don't think about the sunk costs in terms of, wow, when should I really just bail on this? And instead, we go, well, I mean, with all due respect to the incredibly hardworking men and women who have served in the Army, and with especial respect to the people who lost their lives or have been horribly injured there, if you start saying, well, we have to stay in Iraq because we have to keep doing it for the soldiers who died, well, there are people who would say that that's kind of a, that's kind of a fallacious way to decide how to wage a war. Because if you're always doing that, then the war will never end. It's like 1984. The sunk cost fallacy says that just because of what we spent in the past, that may have zero relationship to what we should be spending in the future. Mm. You follow? Yeah. And so you end up putting all this dough into this jalopy without ever calculating whether you should just get a cheaper, better, more reliable used car. It's not a perfect example, but I think we are reluctant to evolve based on the amount of what we feel like we've invested in something. I've been to this job for a really long time. I put up with a lot of BS. There's always the chance that I'll get that raise I'll probably never get. And so that's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I think that does keep people a little stuck, especially in a bad economy and especially late in your career. For evolution, um, I'm going to quit being cagey and say uh, the mountain man we talked about in a couple episodes is uh, John, uh, Jonathan Colton. Um, who has very wonderfully agreed to be a guest on our show when we start having guests. And without going into too much personal stuff, um, when I emailed him about it, he's a very self-effacing guy. He's like, I don't know why you want me on the show, but sure, why not, you know? Because <laughs> you're the best yeah, ever. Yeah, because you're basically everybody's hero. You're everybody's hero just for WebMonkey alone, just for Skull, you know, Skull Crusher Mountain, my God. But um, he's also, if you don't know Jonathan, uh, you can go Google Jonathan Colton. He's the best. It's weird to me that people don't know who he is. But um, in a nut, he's a guy who had done, um, as everybody knows, he was a computer programmer. What a lot of people don't know is, is, is what kind of computer programming he did. You're saying, oh, that's great. He made like, you know, to-do list apps and stuff. No, no, no. He worked in, um, I think it was uh, .NET or ASP, making enterprise HR software. And he let it. He, and he he doesn't put it this way, but he had a team. I think maybe like half a dozen or more people. And you know, this is what probably eight years ago now. He was making pretty good bank. And at some point, a couple things happened. You can go read his bio, but he'd done some performances. You know, I think I think Hodgman was pretty heavily encouraging him to to you know do more stuff. But he'd had this great reception to a couple events he'd done. Just he was a computer programmer guy who went and played guitar, and people were like, wow. And like, oh, yeah, I used to be in the Whiff and Poofs, so I'm a pretty good singer. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and, but if you go and watch that Merlin Show interview I did with him, it's one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. It was when I first met him in 2007. Um, and he talks about, like, it was really hard. Like, he had a kid. And it was like, I think he had a kid on the way. And was like, he made this decision, though, to evolve and to say, I'm going to take a throw at this. Now, not everybody can do that. Not everybody should do that. And certainly not everybody's going to have the same success as him. But he was ready to evolve. And he went out and did that, and it actually turned out pretty well. But what I love about him, as I said in that note, is he didn't stop evolving. You know, there's that wonderful 
I think it was Rumsfeld who who said, God, a guy I don't like, but who has so many great quotes. In talking about uh, terrorism back in the post 9-11 days, he said, the problem is that, and can my fact checker please check this? He says, that the problem is that those guys only have to be right once and, and we have to be right every time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? All it takes is one, one crack in the security to bring us down. Excellent Buddhist point to consider. Um, but the thing is, it's the same way with evolution in doing whatever it is you want to do. If Jonathan had decided to be right once, well, you know, he's still doing pretty good with what he's doing, but if he never changed that, he's not so different from Atlantic Records or Sony or EMI, right? They were right once with CDs. CDs were a huge profit center, right? If you go look at that chart that was floating around about, CDs were an aberration though, right? The, the amount of CDs that they sold was way out of whack. Right, right, right. If you look the at entire- the chart of, of what was sold, that's totally disproportionate with the rest of the historical record sales. Did you see the second version of that where they corrected for population and inflation? No. What, what changed? Oh, it's even more interesting. It's, it? even more, it's even more bananas. But then you can watch the trend line that, that any internet douche can guess, which is that it's just, pew, wee, wee, wah, wah. you know, the ghost <laughs> got them is what I'm saying. But um, my, my, my point being that, I, I don't know. I mean, they got a big nut to meet each month. They got an Excel spreadsheet that's probably locked. That's going to be hard for a music company to do that. But for, for each of us, even if we are part of a big company, even if you're a C-level, even if you're a director, your, your Excel spreadsheet is not locked. <laughs> you might want it to be locked. You might, like, you might like to think that, you understand the metaphor? Like if you think that you can't change anything, well then I don't know what you can do. I, I want in some ways to persuade you to think that even if you don't change, it's nice to realize you could change and you could try these different things. So what's the point here? Well, Jonathan's out recording an album right now and he's doing, again, I don't want to get too... Um, out of school, but he's doing a lot of stuff he's never done before, right? He could have sat around with a copy of Logic or Acid or whatever he uses, Ableton, and sat around and continued to make outstanding songs about zombies and mad scientists. Mm-hmm. No, nobody better. But instead, he went in the studio and and like he, the guy who's, who's producing his record, who I'll check out for okay to say who this is, but um, who basically said, no, uh, Jonathan, uh, by Friday, come back with three songs. It's like, John has never written three songs in three days, mm. you know? He's never had to play with, like, freaking Smokey Hormel, like one of the greatest guitar players in the world. He's got to go in a studio and play with people seriously with a clock ticking for the first time. And he did it. He's continuing to evolve. And I'm sorry to kiss his ass. I'm sorry to kiss him and Gruber's ass. But, like, talk about people who inspire me and, and I admire. I don't know if Jonathan will evolve forever. I don't know if any of us will evolve forever. But he took the smartest chance that he could think of using this ineffable mix of expertise, opportunity, experience, and just a little bit of, I'm sure, intuition. And I I think that's not bad for everybody. Now, do you have to go quit your job as an HR software programmer to do that? You do not. And that's where we get into the investing in roulette part. So, So first of all, does the evolution part make sense, Dan? I think so. Can you give us an anecdote about your evolution? Because I think you've evolved quite a lot from your days, from your days not sitting on a ball and, and having to turn off your, your lights over your head to, to where you had a pretty good blog and then you started making uh, a great blog, what am I saying? And, and, you know, you started making, you've changed a lot in terms of how you make a buck in the last 10 years, right? Yeah, I think so. But a lot of it, uh, up, until, up until doing this, starting this, all, all of the rest of it was more reactionary than, than planned. You know what I'm yeah, saying? But, like, but you, totally, but you didn't dig in and say, I'm just going to, shut my ears and act like the world didn't change. No, you can't do that. 
well, you'd be amazed, right? I mean, th- does, it, does it make sense that I can't embed? Well, you know why the YouTube embedding thing happens. I think this is changing a little bit, but historically, the reason you can't embed a video from YouTube, understand those videos, by and large, paid for by the artists. Let's be clear about this. That's a recoupable cost. When you make a video for your band, you generally pay for it. You pay for the production. You pay for almost everything when you're a band. Everybody yeah. thinks you could go to a label and they just give you some big blank check and a bunch of Coke. And it's not true. You're still mostly on your own. <laughs> Ask anybody who's ever been on a major level what a cluster F it was. Um, so the video that the police paid for, like the video for like So Lonely, maybe IRS paid for it, I don't know, but the video for like So Lonely and Can't Stand Losing You, I can't embed those. And you know why? Because whoever owns IRS records now only makes their pennies if you watch it on the YouTube site where they can run the ads. That's changing now that they can run ads in those videos. But the a device, something that was invented to be a promotional device for selling records, their version of evolution is, well, now we won't let the super fans show it on their site because we're not going to make our pennies. Which, again, this is just me. I don't know anything about business. But that strikes me as extraordinarily short-sighted. Rather than doing what Jonathan does, Jonathan puts, has historically put out almost all of his stuff as Creative Commons and said, yeah, go nuts, remix it. Do whatever you want. Use it in a podcast. He actually has a song called um, Pod Safe Christmas Song that you could use on your, on your podcast. <laughs> and, but what has that done? That has catalyzed an audience that is totally prepared to, A, yeah, go out and make stuff out of that, but right. B, just think he's awesome that you're allowed to do that. He was in the New York Times Magazine featured as the poster boy for this stuff, and it wasn't because he said, I'm going to sue you for using my stuff. Anyway, I don't want to be reductive, but to me, that's, that's a certain kind of evolution. And you know what? Now you can't go download every one of Jonathan's songs for free. Now you got to go buy the old ones. You can, I think you can kind of download them, but that's totally sensible. Look at Ricky Gervais. He's got this incredibly, or the three of those guys, they got this really popular podcast, and now, now you got to buy it. But, you know, they evolved. They said, we're going to give it away free. That gives us this publicity, and it's a good thing. If I hadn't done that talk for free at Google in July of 2007, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Mm. Right? If I charged everybody a nickel to watch the Inbox Zero video 500,000 times, well, first of all, nobody would have watched it 500,000 times. I, I might have five bucks in my pocket now. Oh, forget those. And what about the one of, of you talking into your, uh, your wallet? Oh, are you kidding me? Do you know what kind of money I make off phone guy? You make a lot off it. Yeah, not a nickel. But, um, but think about Gruber. Gruber. Gruber's talked about when he, uh, you've, we've both made fun of him, how he used to, he struggled with how to, uh, you know, make, besides ads, I guess, you know, he used to um, have his RSS feed protected. You had to be a member to get it. Right. And just the logistical overhead that was involved in maintaining that for the people who paid for it and still um, making it, you know what I mean, not, if you like, stealable. You know, think about the last time you went and bought a Thomas the Train or you went and bought a label maker, like what was involved in getting it out of the package. The most abysmal rage, ex- bad experience and total rage from trying to open something because that made it convenient for the company, but it made it a total pain in the ass for me. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like there's, there's all this stuff where, you know, uh, that evolution can sometimes mean, well, now Amazon has a thing where you can check on the page whether it has hassle-free packaging. Is that stupid? Does that sell extra stuff? I have no idea. But if I have to choose between two, I'll pick the one with hassle-free packaging. Jesus H, when we got this, this Toy Story thing for Eleanor for Christmas, she's, through, she's over the moon. We hit it out of the park with this one. What we is got it? her. Well, that particular one, if I remember particular, it was Woody. It was the like, not the super expensive Woody, but like a pretty nice, it really looks like Woody with the volley, uh, you know, polyvinyl uh, hand-stitch hat and all that. Did it, and, does it have the pull string on the back or no pull string? Pull string, and he, he responds to you. Yeah. 
And he says, there's a snake in my boot, which does I like he, that. if you, if, if you move the hat around or take the hat off, does he know whether he's wearing the hat or not? Cause that's like the yeah. deluxe one. Well, but it's the problem is with that. If she takes it into that. bed at night and sleeping yeah. with it and the hat comes off, where's my hat? You know, then you're, you're screwed. <laughs> so you yeah. don't want to get that one. We've got, I'll be honest. We, we got that buzz light here and it's amazing. Yeah. We did get that buzz light here where if you open up his helmet, yeah. he, he complains and then he closes it insane um but it took me she's thrilled she sees sheriff woody and she's she's gonna cry she's so happy and and my hand of god with buzz lightyear and woody it took me at least 15 minutes to open each one with wire cutters it's a nightmare because they wanted to look easy i'm I'm not sure i'm going with this except to say you know maybe someday that'll change it used to be when i was in college everybody would go it's so crazy why would i buy a thing of deodorant that's in a box what a waste and now deodorant's not in boxes anymore like that was evolution when i worked worked at mcdonald's in 1984 i said hey hey is there any chance that we could recycle some of this stuff and they're like you've got to be kidding me throw the styrofoam away we will never recycle that's a waste of time and now today partly because of cost partly because of pressure part because of something something green like now they do all kinds of stuff like that that's turns out to be better for everybody evolution right I mean, you know, whatever. We could do a whole show on the opportunities that come out of stuff that started stupid. But the evolution part to me is, is yeah, maintaining a clear view of like what you need for money or what you need to be happy or what you need for whatever. But it also means understanding to quote that, that great, uh, you know what? I did check this and I think I got the quote right. Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison. I'm, I'm only looking this up because I'm kind of proud of myself that I actually did look it up. Um, oh no, I can't find it. I got to refactor my system. Um, Mm, I need a new text file system. Uh, Thomas Edison says, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. I'm going to say that again. Thomas Edison said, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. You know? Um, So for most of us, if we've lived a life of waiting for stuff to fall on our laps, see also me, if something looks like work, we go, oh my gosh, I can't do any more work. I'm already really busy with my work. Well, again, what if Betty Page came up and said, hey, you know, I got a bunch of rope in two hours. What do you want to do? <laughs> well, I got to go work because that's a thing I do, right? Cut that out. And, uh, and, and you know what I'm saying now? So, so to me, the evolution part is, and to get back to Merlin's unfinished book, yeah, part two, find clarity. And the clarity part is include, to evolve well. I think you do need to have a certain amount of clarity. How good am I at this? How good do I want to be at this? Have I really produced enough to have the level of arrogance about this that, that you know, could explain why it is that no one actually hires me to make all these things I'm not actually good at? Sorry, I'm yelling now. Do you know what I mean, though? I think, I think that, that evolution part. Now, 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 part two, investing in roulette. What do I mean by that? I couldn't decide if this was about investment or about roulette, so I'm going to make it about both. Let's say, <coughs> excuse me, let's say your mortgage to the hilt. Let's say you in that awful paradoxical position where the more you hate the job, your job, the more you don't quit it. I think that happens. You're like, Oh, I hate this job so much, but like, you're so crestfallen. You have no self-confidence anymore. You know what I mean? You've the been fact, like that, the right? fact that you hate the job in and of itself is, is making you feel worse every single day to the point where you, you, you think you're lucky to have it. It's almost, it's almost like Stockholm syndrome in a way. That's a perfect way to put it. Stockholm syndrome is uh, based on that idea that in almost every situation where somebody, including, well, poor Patty Hearst, but somebody, somebody's abducted, Bader-Meinhof, Bader-Meinhof happened with them too. People who are abducted eventually sympathize with their kidnappers. And I think that's true. I think it's true in work. But I think the really non-fancy way to look at it is for myself, like the, the job with Dave, like by the end of the day, some days I was so crestfallen that the last thing that I wanted to do was look at one ads and update my resume. 
So when I talk about investment in roulette, well, what do you do in roulette? Roulette, lottery tickets, whatever you want, anything involving chance, you improve your chances by covering as much of the table as you can, right? If you, if you only put down a nickel chip on, uh, I don't know how to play roulette, but if you only always put it down on that one number, well, it's like the lottery. You're essentially, you're staying in that job, right? You're saying, yeah. well, I'm just going to keep my chip on this one thing because I can't afford to do any more. And well, I'm not saying you should gamble, but I am saying, what if you put down, instead of putting down a $500 chip in one place, what if you put a, what if you covered more of the table with dollar chips? And, and this is why I think it's a little bit like investing, investing, right? In investments, you've got what? You got a savings account, you got T-bills, um, you've got maybe like a mutual fund. Um, and then at a high level, you could invest in something like a VC fund. Well, each one of those has a certain amount of safety risk exposure, right? A T-bill is not going to make you much of anything, but you, there's a pretty good chance, thanks to FDR, there's a pretty good chance that it's not going to just go away. It's like a big mattress with an eagle on it, right? So that's great. If you got $500, you want to make sure it doesn't go anywhere, put it in a T-bill. But don't be surprised that it doesn't turn into $5 million, right? That's a secure job. A secure job is a T-bill, right? Does that make sense, Dan? Am I already off track? No, it makes sense to me. So that's great. Keep your T-bill, right? And if you want, keep scrolling away money in that T-bill to make sure you've always got some dough there. Money market, that's pretty safe, right? It's an index of, of pretty, you know, okay, safe stocks. You could have a checking account with that, whatever. Yeah, it's F- but, FDIC you know, insured. It is, but it's still a little riskier. I mean, I'm sure there were people in 2000, 2001 that, that you know, saw that checking account go down. Um, all the way to the other end, which is something like, what, angel or VC funding. Right. And this is not about really VC funding because that stuff's stupid. But what is a VC? A VC, VC money is somebody who has enough dough that they could say, let's play some roulette. There's a very good chance that most of the companies I invest in are going to go nowhere and I will lose money. But there's a chance that one of them uh, might be Dropbox or one of them might be YouTube or one of them might be famously Apple. That Forrest Gump, when he goes out and he gets that check in the checkbox, check in his uh, mailbox, Forrest Gump's making pretty good dough. He can afford those Nikes, grow a beard. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, that's the way to think about this. Now, specifically, yes, the T-bill part is if you can keep your job and not lose your mind, that's great. Do what you got to do. Have the clarity to know what you can do to not screw up that thing that's dependable. But then start thinking about the money market thing. Like I said about my friend uh, who was felt guilty about, you know, having job interviews outside of her, you know, boss that she liked. Well, in a weird way, like that's not only not going to damage your boss or your job, it could actually be better for you, right? Like we said before, once you develop a lot of expertise, your requests for salary raises never have to end with a question mark. If you really understand the market and you really understand, if you go out and let's say you've got your T-bill job and you go out and interview for a bunch of, bunch of stuff you're pretty sure you could get just for fun and they go, they laugh you out of the room, Wow, well, that's a really good sign that you're probably not ready to just go throw all your money into yeah. VC. Uh, this is a really stupid metaphor, but I hope it works. So, so, but what I'm saying is there's no reason you can't do a little bit of all of these. Yeah, put most of your intellectual capital, if you like, to start. Keep it all in the place that's safest. But then don't be afraid to place some slightly more ambitious bets. Buying a scratch-off card is not going to make you go broke. But it's also not necessarily the best expenditure of your money to, to become a millionaire. Plus, it's kind of addictive and stupid. And I hate when those people make the line, you know, stop because they want to buy scratch-off tickets. It just makes me mad. Oh, do, you ever, do you ever do that? Do you ever gamble? Never, well, I never buy scratch-off tickets. No. Um, I'm no Gruber. But when I go to Vegas, uh, I got two front pockets, right? 
I got I got a left pocket, which is money I'm not allowed to touch, and I got a right pocket, which is the money I'm allowed to spend. Why do you and bring when, the money in your left pocket if you're not going to touch it? Um, because I might want to decide that that system's dumb and I want to start chasing my money. You know, you can win at blackjack. I do basic strategy, but then I abandon the basic strategy, and so it's not really a strategy anymore. But that was a really good ninth Heineken they brought me. <laughs> Cigarettes, <laughs> sir? Sure, I can... Um, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not a gambler. Of all of my, I don't have that kind of ADD and I don't have that kind of, it's not fun to me. They say that for people who are compulsive gamblers, gambling's actually not fun. I mean, it's winning is fun, but they don't love talking to their bookie. You know what I mean? It's not like a lifestyle they're happy with, most yeah, of them. Yeah. But here's, but so just to beat this into the ground and get to the next thing. Um, so specifically, you've got this job. And you've been listening to this show for a long time and you're ready to stop listening to it because Merlin's always yelling at you. Well, so, okay, fine. Give me my tips and tricks. Well, here's your tips and tricks. Keep the safest job you've got. And you know what? If you don't have a job, maybe go try and get some crap job where you at least bring in some money. Yeah? If you can get health benefits, that'd be awesome. But that doesn't stop you from having the ability to do other stuff. The, the interviewing for a job, I mean, that might even be too ambitious. Maybe you're too busy. Maybe you've got five kids. Maybe you don't own pants. Whatever it is. But you know what you could do is you could get a book from the library and read it just because reading is a good thing for your brain. But even better, it could be a book about this topic you think you're interested in. And you could go read that. Just like the artist date thing we talked about. Yeah. You, there's nothing to be lost. That is the money market part of this. That's still pretty safe. There's a pretty good chance that reading a book is not going to get you fired unless it's about Betty Page and you're in the middle of a meeting. It's a good book. And uh, actually, there's not that much to read in it, you know. Um, <clears throat> but but I think that's not a bad idea. And I know that sounds really cliche, <clears throat> this notion of trying to um, sharpen the saw, punch. But but this idea of going out and trying to improve what you're doing, there's two avenues to that at that kind of – the first level, keeping the job, right? The second level, I think there's two ways you can go. One is to start getting some feelers out. And those feelers could be toward – uh, networking with people, and that's a dumb word, but networking to me means, when I say networking, to me, networking is doing for a, fa- a favor for somebody you like and not expecting anything in return. It's not about exchanging cards and then never calling each other and acting like your friends. Please, please remember that. And you know what? I don't really need your card. It's good. We're good. Thanks. I understand. You have a podcast. But, um, <laughs> no, 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 it's good. It's good. It's just that, you know, you you get so many cards sometimes that you just... Leave them in the hotel room. And, um, but, but go out and meet people, but meet the right people, meet interesting people, like, and go out and then find out what you can do for them. That's what networking is. Network is doing favors for other people. It, networking to me, you meet people like what? Oh, God, I've got these friends who are just great about introducing me to people they think, you know, would be interesting. Sort of like you should do with the Time Magazine guy with me so I can go and hang out at his house, right? That's networking. But the other, the other angle of that is, to purely, again, think about the expertise stuff. Now, if you've got a job as a Rails programmer, it might not hurt to make sure you're up to date on the Rails stuff. Are you up to date on these scale issues? I guess that's not really an issue anymore. But <clears throat> do you want to maybe look at a different language? Do you want to do what, whatever Scala is? Uh, learn a little, uh, there's something called Erlang. These are, things I don't, these are things I don't know anything about. Dan, what's Erlang? What's Erlang? Erlang is, is just, it's, a, it's another one of those, you know, newfangled kid languages that's out there. Where it's like uh, you just use regular verbs and you don't have to learn anything. Yeah, you just you just type. You say computer, do you sort these this table, and it does. Right. What about Lisp? You learn Lisp? No, I, I Lisp. have no interest in like. What about Smalltalk? You learn Smalltalk? No, Smalltalk. No, no. Ruby Go Ruby Paul? has the best of Lisp and Smalltalk already built in. 
Oh, ball four, Tran? Fourth? Okay, I'm out. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know enough to make jokes about that. But, uh, but seriously, like you could go and, uh, uh, you know, and again, boy, this goes straight back to something from the a actor model. That's what you want to think about when you think of Erlang. Is that an XP thing? No, but I think you'll I think you'll like it. You should actually Erlang thing seems like something you'd like. Huh. Is it state dependent? <laughs> it has dynamic typing, which I know you like. Oh, that's good. Oh, I love dynamic typing. Does it degrade great gracefully? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Strict what? evaluation, your favorite. Oh, really? Favorite the, the, stuff. The, let me ask you a question. Does it have classes and methods? Oh yeah, but it's it's uh yeah. I only do methods. I only do methods. I no do classes, huh? No, I have methodless classes and I have no class. So what about multi threading? <laughs> Tried it once. Tried it once. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. I didn't like the people I had to hang out with. Okay. No, I haven't really, I haven't really used Erlang, but I want Scala. You know, if, if you that's like what it. Alex, Alex is always talking about Scala. Scala, right? Scala. Oh yeah, Alex. Yeah. Althrix. Yeah. 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 Is that Scala. how you say that? No, it's Alex. Guy's smart. Um, but you could go and do several things in that regard. Well, first of all, yeah, I mean, maybe busman's holiday, right? You don't want to sit there and, and, and dick around in, um, in what you have to do at work. But, wow, maybe, maybe you could go do a little funny Skunk Works project. You know what? Maybe you could go download Xcode and, and mess around with trying to make an iOS app. I, I don't know. I mean, you have to pick your version of this. But just picking up a little bit of extra skills, the, the second part is, yeah, you're getting a skill. But the first part is you're proving to yourself that you are not stuck. And that you can do more, and I just think that's so that's so great. And again, go back to go back to gosh, Dan, how many stories do we each have about something where we accidentally discovered this thing that was really great? That's the best stuff. It's the best stuff. And the future proofing your passion part is not shutting that door to where you're sort of I don't know where you got this 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 really complicated grep thing that tells you you've seen you know been there done that. I don't need to touch that. Ashik was telling me about this the other day. Um, I, I, I never thought of it this way. We were talking about, I was talking about how like, I feel like as I get older, I'm trying really hard to like keep learning about new bands and you stuff. Like you're making progress in there when you go in there? Well, I'm making progress in the sense that it gives me my prescription so that I don't lose my mind for 30 days. But, so you only see them once a month then? Yeah, last time... Um, is it, It's not really analysis then or... Oh, Jesus, H, no. We talked for 25 minutes about how much we hate CFL light bulbs. I thought I didn't think there was anybody who hated CFL light bulbs more than me, but but Tom went happy go jappy on that. He was just, and we're both like, yes, everybody looks like they've got a they've got some kind of liver problem. I was like, yes, you know what happened? Why can't I buy a two hundred watt incandescent bulb? You know what? If the planet can't handle that, is that my problem? Probably. Anyway, now those are the worst. I don't know how people use those. Do you get headaches better. from those? <sighs> I get they, every, they're at the wrong wavelength. I don't. I can't have. Oh them. no, they're, they're they're brutal. And now. Whatever, um, but I but he, he brought up an interesting thing, and, and as a man who just simply does not speak in cliches, he called upon a cliche to explain this phenomenon, um, the phenomenon of uh, eh, yeah, whatever, you know, eh, I don't need to learn that. Yeah, uh, and it's like as you get older, the same way that I sit there and go, Joanna Newsom, really, like you know, it's, she's fine, I'm sure, but like I'm not going to sit there and listen to you know whatever. I hear some name of some band, and I'm like, oh god, it just makes me want to listen to the Buzzcocks, you know. And there was a time where people went Buzzcocks, really. And that's because as you get older, you develop these, I don't know, I don't know if you call it chunking or heuristics. I think you call it a heuristics yeah. or, or an algorithm where it really is the equivalent of been there, done that, where you kind of, you chunk this whole thing into, oh, you know, warbling harp lady falls well within this big barrel of stuff I just don't need to pay attention to. Now, maybe I don't, but, but on the other hand, if I do that all the time, I'm really not going to move forward. 
it, it becomes a kind of black and white thinking, and it certainly becomes a flavor of what's that phrase uh, developers use? Not invented here or whatever. Yeah. What, what's the what's that term? Yeah, I think that's it. Not invented here, not built here. Yeah. So, uh, you're, first we need to build a bug tracker. But before we do that, we'll need a new framework. Like, really? You need a new framework? You have to build a framework for a bug tracker? <laughs> That's great. That's great. We'll call up the guys on Sand Hill Road and let them know you're working on a bug tracker because there, there aren't many of those out there. So, but this doesn't work in uh, I have a, uh, problems.el, I like to run and uh, key bindings. So what I'm saying is uh, <laughs> don't, let your become, don't let yourself become Johnny Heuristic, right? That's, that's not good. Um, and so, so back to that second point, uh, the roulette and investing part, there's not that much to be lost by trying these different things in a way that won't break your bank, so to speak. And as far as the VC money, to me, this is where you start swinging for the fences. And you go, mm, again, you don't want to be uh, like a stupid jerk about it, but you know, you might write a letter to somebody you really admire. You might, you might try and, as they say, God, I loathe this phrase, reach out. Really? Reach out? We used to call that talking to someone in a different age. Sorry. Yeah. Heuristic yeah. chunk. Joanna Newsom. Dev Null. Uh, but, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to go try something crazy. It doesn't hurt. You know what? Go submit something to the Atlantic. I got the nicest rejection slip from the Atlantic ever when I was like 23. Could you so, save it? Oh, God, yes. It was gorgeous. <laughs> I could have sold it. It was beautiful. I could have lived in it. It's nicer than my apartment. But, but the VC part is going, you know what? There's almost no chance that this thing will work out. But what the heck? And I'm trying. I, obviously, I can't tell you what that is for what you do. But you know, the passion part of future proofing your passion. What if your passion is like you're really into CFL bulbs? Well, why don't you figure out like what the craziest thing is that the world needs to know or do about CFL bulbs that is not being done right now? Go find out. I mean, obviously, don't invent the wheel, but why not? Why don't you go figure out if there's something if that's really what you care about? Go do something, and you don't have to quit your job to do that. Jonathan was, to my knowledge, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. I forget which ones were part of Thing a Week, but I think he wrote Skull, um, Skull Crusher Mountain. I think he wrote that when he still had his job. And it's absolutely one of my favorite songs. Um, in the talk where I cried, I talked about Dylan and how Dylan, you know, he could have just kept cruising along writing folk songs, but that's just not how he rolls. Right. He went up there and played. Did you ever watch the talk? Did you watch me cry? No. Yeah, good. And, and so he went up there, though, and like played this music that everybody hated. If you go and listen to the uh, quote-unquote Albert Hall record, you can hear people were not particularly happy. People have way overstated this and all the Judas stuff, you know, I don't believe you, and all that stuff. But, but you know, it's, seriously, he was constantly, you know, self-portrait, really? Self-portrait, has anybody ever listened to all of self-portrait? It's like the mental machine music of Dylan's oeuvre. It's like, it's mm. one everybody has and doesn't listen to. It's like, you know, the Ulysses of Ulysses. Never finish Ulysses. I try so hard. Um, but he did that. He went and he kept swinging for the fences. And he, he kind of said, you know, well, I'm Bob Dylan. Well, my word's not his. He's like, ah, he's, he's Dylan. He can try stuff. If you don't like it, don't worry. I'll do something else. And I think that that is the VC part of this. Because you know what? There's always that chance that that thing will pay off. And are you ready for the real trick in all of this? Yeah. Notice I'm not yelling you, at you about this. I'm being very empathetic about this. Is if you are doing, continue to do the T-bill and uh, 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 money market 
level of this stuff, right? Just a little lightweight stuff that nobody but you needs to know about. You are building expertise. And on some level, you are building experience. You're gathering information that shows you whether you're just a dumbass, which is extremely valuable information. And you might go, you know what? This thing that I thought was what I really wanted to do is not at all what I wanted to do. Um, a good friend of ours, he's a very successful podcaster. Um, his wife went to law school. Awesome, awesome, brilliant, brilliant person. And she went to law school. Yeah. All the way through law school. She knows law. She can, you know, Marbury versus Madison with the best of them. And then she went through the California bar. And from what I can gather, based on this last time we had dinner, at the point when she was studying for the bar with other students, she realized how much she hated other lawyers. She did not like being around <laughs> lawyers. She did not like lawyers. The law, fine. She learned the law. She knew the law inside and out. She passed the bar. You know, I'm just saying. But isn't it funny that somebody that smart didn't go and spend enough time in a law office to realize that that's not what she wanted to do? Mm. Now, she might have had that dream since she was three, right? Like I say, it's like, you know, do you want to sleep in a race car bed for the rest of your life? Well, if you're keeping your eyes open, boy, you know, it would save you a lot of money to realize pretty early on that lawyers are dicks, except for mine. He's great. Hi, Gabe. Montero's lawyer, by the way, same lawyer. Um, but but um, you follow? Let's, let's get past that part. Does that make sense, Dan? It does. Don't be afraid to try different things. This, if there's any way that you could try different stuff that won't necessarily screw up your deal, I think this is it. The way to future-proof your passion is to realize that, you know, it's easy to future-proof anything if it's not dependent on a particular, you know, uh, time and place, right? If you develop, and, and we've talked about this so much before, I hate to kind of strictly rehash it, but, you know, again, my story about, like, starting out with PageMaker, right? And then that becomes newsletters. And then newsletters becomes websites. And then websites becomes blogs and so on and so on and so on. And like I said in the talk where I cried, I have no idea what the next thing for me is. I barely understand what the current thing for me is. But uh, because I, I haven't got my ass kicked horribly, I keep trying the kind of newish stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and I'll get my ass kicked a lot. But, you know, if if you if you... You know, think about if you never wanted to get your ass kicked, you'd be a pretty bad boxer. You well, know we've what I mean? Ta- you know, we talked about fear. So that's the one thing. But now it's like you're, ta- you're talking, touching on a different aspect of it, which is dealing with discouragement. Yes, yes. And your buddy, your buddy, the time guy, talked about this, about how, gosh, su- such a great interview. You should go listen to that on the pipeline. That guy was so – Philip Elmer. Yeah, he's DeWitt. so smart, that guy. He's so great, and, and, and he we'll knows that, who I we'll am. We'll put that in the, in the show notes. God, I got to meet that guy. So he's heard, he's heard your shows. Yeah, he listens in. He had, he had 12 cover stories on time, and he says, it's like Merlin says. I swear to God, I almost passed out. I was walking down the street, and I almost passed out. Oh, he loves you. Oh, my God. That's – I – and Madeline goes, I told Madeline about it today, like in this really gay way. And she's like, yeah, and he's a real writer. I was like, yes, he is a real writer. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even, you know, make that face I make. Yeah. Um, but what was my point with him? He talks about when he uh, was writing for, he first he started with what, like a student paper and he wrote this really crappy thing. And, and then he went to New York. Oh God, this is so germane to what we're talking about. He goes to New York to say, you know what, what the hell? I'm going to go give this a throw. And he goes and he got one thing published and then nothing for a right, year. Right. Nothing happened. He said he had to go to the dentist and he had holes in his shoes. Yeah. And like, it's like, but he kept at it. And then a lucky break came along. His VC money was, he ran into this guy who was like, do you want to come here and be a, not a fact checker, but do you want to be like a researcher? Right. 
basically you, you do the notes and write really kind of like what a producer does in TV. You go out and do all the heavy lifting for Mike Wallace. Right. And you still had the opportunity to write, but it wasn't, it, it was more like extracurricular writing as opposed yeah, to required. But then what, what happened once he, so, he, so if he had gone into that and said, let's look at the, let's take the classic example. You go, okay, I want to write for time magazine. And you go, um, Hey, you know, I'm, I want to write for time. And they go, first of all, who are you? How'd you get this number? And they go, okay, well, where have you been before? And you're like, well, I wrote for the, uh, you know, the Daily Orlandon. <laughs> well, it used to be the Daily. Now it's the Monthly Orlandon. I wrote for the Bay Guardian. I helped set up all their pod ads. Um, they're doing important work at the Bay Guardian. I'll tell you, hand jobs and pod are keeping the Guardian afloat at this point. Thank God. You get both of those together and you got a pretty good evening. Um, but the Guardian is bad. Uh, but it's true. What happened then? So what did he do? He came in and instead of coming in and going like, even though he says himself, I wasn't qualified to go right at that level that these guys, and again, we're talking about a different time magazine <laughs> with all respect to time. It was, God, we used to get time when I was a kid and I would just read it from cover to cover. I'll never forget the one from 76 with the excerpt from the Howard Hughes book where he collected his urine. Never, never forget reading that in time magazine. But what did he do? He became a guy who kind of accidentally learned how to be a great reporter long before he was a, a journalist, really. And then finally, he'd done enough of that. I mean, God, if this doesn't show, prove the expertise stuff, I don't know what does. And then finally, now he's, he's, he got to start writing features. He edited, what, five, how many, did he say over a thousand, when he was the ed, an editor, the science editor, he edited, edited over a thousand things that went in Time Magazine. Twelve covers, I mean, or was that what he said, or five, how many? 150, about, I thought it was. Not covers, though. Cover stories are. Uh, anyway, the point, the point re- being. Review that. Um, you know, it's easy enough to pull these stories out of our ass, but this is a guy who had holes in his shoes and bad teeth, and pretty yeah. soon he had cover stories in time. He was the first guy that wrote about computers regularly there. Um, and so, I don't know. I think 150 pretty- cover stories. That's insane. I, I haven't written 150 of anything. Apology yeah. notes, maybe. Um, we got to do the last one quick. I don't even know what this means. I'm not sure what I meant by this. Taking smarter chances. I, I think this is where we kind of tie it together. And it's, it's just a way of saying that, like, this is, again, this is a graduate level thing. But first of all, you have to realize that a chance, not every chance is, is going to kill you, right? If it, if it fails, you know, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm trying to not be inspirational. I know I'm doing too much of that stuff. Um, but seriously, like, you, there are some chances you can take that will not screw you up. I think any, anything that you do, pardon me, that does get you out of your head and gives you experience that's something you think you understand but maybe don't, yeah. that's a really valuable thing. I mean, if I actually sat down and learned a little more Rails, I was telling James at Brownell, James is a uh, Python programmer, and you should, oh, Dan, you got to see this Bash script. I spent two hours on a Bash script yesterday morning. Really? Why don't oh. you just write it in Ruby? I mean, oh, you do, I'm going to do, do it in Erlang. Erlang. Change Earl. Done. What? what? What's the Bash script for? An Apple script service? You really want to know? Yeah. Should we save it for the show after show? No, do it for this because people this, think of this as a fake productivity show. Oh my Christ on a crutch, Dan. I've got Bash scripts that I've got to show you guys. Because <sighs> you get the shebang. You got four lines of said. And I, I tried to do it with variables with the dollar sign, you know. Earl equals blah, and I ended up writing four lines of said that each has like seven thousand slashes in it. There's no variables. It's the it's got to be the ultimate like bondage and discipline thing I've ever done in programming. It's um, all to create a TextMate bundle that would change all of my local Dropbox links into um, a URL and back. Do you know what I ended up doing? What going to TextMate and creating two macros, and it took two seconds. 
but you know, I want to learn more said. Because said, you know, to me, like said, James likes sock. What do you like? There's a big difference though, right? I mean, I think said's a stream-based one where you're doing like mostly tab-ish mm-hmm. stuff. They work well, well together. Give me, can you give me the uh, the dumb guy version of said versus Ock? <sighs> Probably not in the time frame that we have. Mm-hmm. Well, I like said, and I, I mean I, said. Said is what you want to use if if you're trying to. Is the best way to think of said is for parsing text, and it's going to be sequential, right? Right, and without getting obviously you use regular expressions, but you. But there's a, some smart, like when you do the, like, okay, like S, S slash foo slash bar slash G. I, I know that from Vim. I know that from said. Like, where does that, what is, where does that come from? Where does that, subst- where does substitution come from? Where does that live? Because you use it in everything. You yeah, use it and it all uses pretty much the same syntax. Well, too. is that, is that, is that part of, um, is that part of, uh, Postix? I mean, is that just a is stream thing? That's a, a great word? question. I really don't know where that originated. You use it everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. And the syntax is almost always going to be supported that way. I think it was wherever it first started. And I don't. We don't need emails about this, please. But wherever it first started, sir. whoever <laughs> first implemented it, it's you been know picked what? Up Can you get Jaser? I don't know if Jaser is interested in this stuff. Could you get him to do quote unquote a little bit of follow up on this? Like maybe six to seven hours on this. Yeah. God, I love his follow-up. But Auk oh, cool. is more of a, like, if, think of it as like when you want to pull the data out and report it, that's what Auk is good for. So said is what's going to parse the information you want, and Auk is going to do something with it. So it's almost, oh God. But I hardly use those anymore. Want to get some email? That, that reminds me of college. So it's a, little by, it's a little bit like what you capture in regular expressions versus what you replace with. Said's kind of like what goes in parentheses, and Auk is a little bit like what gets written out with the dollar signs. Kind of, kind of. Not really. Oh, God. Yeah, I think, sure. Yes, exactly. That's great. Kind of. Yeah. You should see my regular expressions. I wow. want to see them. Show them up. Let's see them. Dan, Dan, they're bad. Just it. Okay, let, you know what? I'm a pasty. What do you like? Pasty or just? Just. Like? Then oh, I can fork it. So bad. Fork, yeah. Uh, yeah, you should see my GitHub. My GitHub's hilarious. It's got, <laughs> it's got, I have the stupidest GitHub in the entire world. Like, like Brett and Dr. Drang have these amazing GitHubs, and mine's like, here's my Quix file. Where's my scripts file? We got to wrap this up. We got to button it up. Um, so the smarter the smarter chances part. We got to f- let's follow this up in the uh, in the after show. The smarter chances part to me is um, is is well, yeah. You can you can sort of choose to focus on the smart or the chances. The, the the chances can mean you know think of it this way: if you do spend a dollar on a ro- lottery ticket, you're only out a buck. Your chances are not great that that's going to return anything. But like like I've said, I mean like. I totally saw Jonathan Richmond on the street in San Francisco the other day. And I've repeated this story a million times. He doesn't remember me, but we've met a few times before. But I've told this story about how I wrote it, like at a point when I was just learning to get just 5% better at guitar, I wrote this completely random letter. Jonathan Richmond was this guy in the, in the Modern Lovers. He wrote that song, Radio on, Roadrunner, Roadrunner. He wrote like all these amazing songs. Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Not like you. He wrote that. And I totally wrote this in this really spooky letter in 1988, and he completely wrote me back. It was, and it was like, it was transcendent. It was so nice. You know what I mean? That was VC money for me. There was very little chance that Jonathan Richmond would write me back, so I didn't have that much to lose by doing it, really. But when he did, I was so buoyed. And now I'm 44, and I still think about that. And A, it made me happy that he made a 22-year-old kid so happy. Yeah. But B, it makes a 44-year-old man go, you know what? I should try to be cooler like Jonathan Richmond. That was a really nice thing to do. 
I don't do it every day, but I try. I do try really hard, just not publicly because I don't want to be that guy. But um, you know what I mean? You know that, Dan. You know I'm nice sometimes, right? You're always nice. No, but I mean in real life, right? Yeah. You're always and nice. that's okay. No, that's off brand for me. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, enough said. I think, um, I think at the heart of this is the future proofing your passion, which is a really dumb name. Um, is a, is a way of saying like, if there is something I really care about, well, first of all, here's the yelling part. If you, if you're really not sure what you care about, or you're not sure, maybe more saliently, if you're not up to date on what you care about, it's not a bad idea to start by saying, well, this thing that I'm pretty sure I should be doing, is that still a thing? This goes straight back to David Allen, straight back to Neil Fiore. As David Allen says, a lot of procrastination is caused by something where your brain has moved on, but like you're sort of not aware of it yet. And as I say with like OmniFocus, like if you know you're not going to do that, then why is it there? If you know you're never going to answer that email, then why is it sitting there? You're, you're, not only are you lying to yourself, but you're making your life really miserable. And if you know that you're never going to be uh, you know, a screechy harp player, if you know that the, really that's not in the cards right now, well, maybe you need to refactor. Maybe you neither, either need to just start just enjoying that music or maybe you could become an agent or maybe you could become a booker or maybe you could become a harps, harp repairman or whatever. That's the angle part. That's the axes part. Is if you just focus on the obsession part, you may not realize how you might want to refine your voice. Does that make sense, Dan? You see how I pulled it back around? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel future-proof at this point? I, after the show, I do. Yeah, me too. Me too. God, that Betty Page is pretty. You know, she was institutionalized for a while. She had the uh, had the schizophrenia for a while. I think I read that. Yeah, it's a I, shame. She uh, she had some really, really, really cool underwear. Let's button it up. All right. I love you. Love you too, Merlin man.